Hello and welcome to the Chapter and Verse podcast. My name is Kenneth Paget. I teach a Wednesday night in-person Bible study at Christ the King Grace in Pauley's Island, South Carolina. And this podcast is really a recap of that Wednesday night teaching. So we are going through the book of Genesis and we're going to go chapter by chapter. And this will be this week will be in chapter 12 of Genesis. And the idea here is that the in-person teaching um, sometimes folks miss and that's okay, and this is a way for them to kind of fill in the gap. So it's a much shorter version of the Wednesday night teaching where we'll be hitting the highlights, but it is a way to fill in the gap so you don't miss too much. Or if folks are joining in that study late, um, this is a way to kind of catch all the way up to wherever we are. Uh, Or go back, and um, for those who are there and with us every time, this is a good way to go back and refresh uh, what we might have Uh, gone over in a previous week. If you're just joining in, if you just found us on the internet and you're here joining in, you're you're welcome to to join along. Just know that this is an abbreviated teaching through these passages, but I still think it would be helpful um, at least as a starting point for studying these passages. So you're welcome to join along. So with that said, let's dive into the text. All right, so last week we looked at um, Genesis 1 through 11 as a whole, as a unit. And we talked about the storyline of Genesis 1 through 11 and how that really sets up the whole of the rest of Scripture. The whole story after Genesis 11 is dependent. It's, it's building off of the realities that we saw in Genesis 1 through 11. And so, just as a really brief summary of Genesis 1 through 11, the idea is that God um, wants to dwell with people and he made a place and a space for that to happen. And he charged those people to be fruitful and multiply. And he gave them a royal vocation, a royal job of um, subduing the earth and exercising dominion over the animals. And Uh, we saw that that was messed up. We saw that there was something of a usurper, you know, um, in the Nachash, the serpent figure uh, in the garden. And what that resulted in was humanity being exiled out of that first situation. Like what God was doing with the world, what he was doing in creation, right? The goal of creation was so that God could dwell with his people, in his place, and um, in an unhindered way, I would say, as well. And that's been sullied by the sinfulness of the first humans. And outside of access to God's presence and God's life and light, human beings just don't flourish. And so Genesis 4 through 11 is really just humanity um, you know, stumbling and tumbling down the mountain of God. Um, into a sinful and rebellious state that just compounds as the chapters move forward. So, um, it kind of comes to this big head at the Tower of Babel. And so, in the Bible, the Tower of Babel is a huge, huge problem that needs to be solved. The, the, The scattering and confusing judgment that God puts on people as he exiles them even out further still um, from Babel. Um, 
that is the problem. I mean, this this it, that needs to be answered. The scattering of humans, the confusion of humans, their their rebellious heart and nature, and uh, the just their inability to to thrive and flourish outside of God's presence. So God is going to do something about it because he is a God of love. He is a God of goodness and loving kindness. And we know that his, his, his loyal love is everlasting, the Bible tells us. He is good. And so, thankfully, the story doesn't end in Genesis 11. Um, it goes on to Genesis 12. And so here we are in Genesis 12. And we're going to see some really amazing things in how this story is told and the, the structure uh, of the story, and and how Abraham's life uh, takes a, a familiar path, even though um, it's, it's, it's kind of a retroactively familiar for a lot of people who know the, even, even the basics of the Bible. So, let's, let's jump in um, right, right away. So, he's, he's called Abram. Um, that's his original name, and God will later change it to Abraham. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to use Abram um, as we think about this text here, so we can remember that God has yet to change his name. At the end of Genesis 11, we're 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 zooming in, you know, to to Abram through a genealogy, and so we get to Abram, and Yahweh speaks to Abram, and he he says, "Go out from your land." from your relatives, from the house of your father, to a land I will show you. And this is interesting. If you notice, it's land, relatives, father, the house of your father. So it's kind of like uh, progressively getting more and more personal to Abraham, what God is asking him to leave. Um, his In the ancient world, I mean, your the land that you're part of, your heritage, your extended relatives or your support network and the house of your father, like your very inheritance to continue on living the way the whole society is structured. God is saying, I want you to leave that. I want you to leave your past. He's testing Abraham or Abram here. And, you know, let, let's see if Abram is obedient. Um, but just this compounding or this, this progressive um, sliding into the 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 heart of Abram and the the very um, substance of his existence in his, in this ancient world, God is saying, "I want you to leave, and I want you to depend on me." And uh, he and then God gives him a promise. Okay, so this is a huge promise. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and I will be, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So, a couple things. Um, he will make their name, Yahweh will make Abram's name great. Okay? We've seen that before. That's That was in Genesis 11. We saw that that was part of the motivation in, in 11 verse 4 that they want to make their names great. And so Yahweh is, is he's showing us that this call of Abram is related to the Tower of Babel. Whatever he's doing in Abram is in response, it's in relation to what happened at the Tower of Babel. God will make Abram's name great. 
He not not the people making their own name great by putting themselves up in the heavens. The heavens will come down in Yahweh, and he will make Abram into a great nation, and he will make his name great. So and then there's this fivefold blessing. So the the Hebrew word is barach, and um, you have and I and I will be a bless and I will bless you in verse two, and you will be a blessing, verse two. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you. Uh, it, and all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. So there's five barachs here. There's five blessings. And this is probably a tie-in to the five curses of Genesis 1 through 11. So you may think that there's just way more curses than that in Genesis 1 through 11, as, as bad as everything gets. But the the phrase curse shows up and it's related to God's cursing five times, right? And I think this is signifying a reversal because what we need is we need Genesis 11 to 4 through 11 to be reversed and and 3 through 11 really because we need humanity needs to be back in the presence of God in order to flourish and to thrive in order for God to get what he originally wanted so here we see in this five this use of the word barak five times and it's kind of like you can't help but notice it um and what happens is is this this shows us that that God is, he's reversing. He's going to make Abram's name great. So that's directly tied to Babel. He's got this fivefold blessing, which is in response to the fivefold cursing of Genesis 1 through 11. And then he says, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So it's really engaging. He just scattered all the families of the earth, right? He just scattered everybody all over the earth in, in this confusing and scattering judgment. And you know the blessing uh, here will will be um, ultimately to be blessed. God blessed uh, His image bearers in Genesis one, and by being in their presence. So the blessing here is to call all the families of the earth into God's presence, and somehow through Abram's offspring, we're going to see that happen eventually. Um, and, it, and spoiler alert, it, it's literally happening right now <laughs> um, in Abram's offspring, Jesus. And if you notice in um, Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, in Matthew 1.1, it's important to Matthew that the first thing you know, one of the first things you know about Abram, or I'm sorry, about Jesus is that he's a son of Abraham. He's the one who's bringing all the families of the earth into God's presence for blessing. And and here, here we are, thousands of years later, thousands of miles away, um, invited into God's presence by the power of the Spirit and by the work of Jesus uh, on the cross and in the resurrection. Um, so one more little nugget was, um, I, I'm, I think there's, there's three great names in the Old Testament. And and one of them is here, this promise that Abram, his name will be great. The other one is David. David's the only other guy who who's, says, will have a great name. And then the other one, of course, is Yahweh himself, who has a great name. So 
Yahweh himself with a great name, and then these two figures of David and Abram, Abraham. And again, go to Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, first sentence of the New Testament, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Whatever Jesus is and whatever he's doing and whatever Matthew wants us to know about him, whatever the New Testament is going to say about him, that's key that we know that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so here we are, we're looking at how how Abraham is functioning. Why are we even following his offspring? And it's because of these sentences right here. We're trying to see how Abraham's family is going to reverse the curse of, of the Tower of Babel. And um, I'll tell you this as well. Go read Acts chapter 2 and look at Pentecost one more time. You have a table of nations in, in Acts chapter 2. So you have all these nations, all these families of the earth present, and they all start to hear in their own language. So there's a, there's a language reversal where instead of confusion of hearing different languages and not able to communicate, their languages are brought together. And the ability to understand corporately is is, is done in the, at the teaching uh, of Peter and at the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we can see that Pentecost itself is a reversal of Babel. And it's, it's showing us the crafting of how that worked. The crafting of that narrative in Acts chapter 2 shows us directly here that, hey, this is that promise to Abram coming to fruition in the arrival of the Holy Spirit uh, of the people of Jesus. <clears throat> so very cool. Very, very cool. All right. So now Abram, he, guess what? He goes out <laughs> as, as Yahweh had told him. So Abram is being cast here as a righteous man. He's a man who's, who's willing to do what Yahweh tells him to do the way that Yahweh tells him to do it. And so great, here we are. Um, Lot is his is his nephew. We learn um, in the end of Genesis eleven, and uh, his Lot's or Abraham Abram's brother Haran died, and Lot was his son, and Lot Lot went with him. Um, and we'll we'll talk about Lot uh, later. But um, now Abram was seventy five years old when he went out from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the persons that they had acquired in Haran. So he had kind of um, built up an entourage. Remember, he's turning into a nation. And so Abram is functioning sort of like a tribal leader or kind of like a king of his little nomadic nation. And they they left and to go to the land of Canaan. And when they went to the land of Canaan, uh, Abram traveled through the land and up to the place of Shechem, the, to the Oak of Moreh. And the Oak of Moreh, Moreh in, in Hebrew is, is really teaching. It's a teacher. It's the Oak of the teacher. Um, but it's probably a landmark, um, probably a large oak um, that functions as, as a landmark uh, on, these, on, on these traveling paths. And the Canaanites were in the land. And we already know from Genesis um, chapter 9, when um, Ham, who's Canaan's father, um, had that encounter with Noah, and, and Noah ends up cursing Canaan. 
And so the Canaanites are a cursed people, and they're going to show up again <laughs> a lot um, in, in the Old Testament. Um, so Yahweh appeared to Abraham, to Abram. And one of the questions that we had on Wednesday was like, is when Yahweh speaks to Abraham or when Yahweh appears to Abraham, is it face to face? Is it, are they talking uh, physically to one another? Well, I will say the text doesn't tell us here, so I wouldn't want to speculate too much. I know that in the New Testament, no one has seen God face to face, you know. Um, there, there's a couple instances where, where Moses, um, speaks to God as face to face, as a friend face to face. Um, so when you, when you put all this data together, um, it's, it's hard to really pinpoint, uh, how this is working out. I don't think the text is concerned with how this is working out, so I wouldn't put too much thought into it. Um, but I will say that Abram talks to Yahweh again um, numerous times, but one time, um, right before the, the narrative of Sodom and Gomorrah, Yahweh appears to Abraham as a man. And uh, they do talk face to face as men. I don't know if that's happening here. It doesn't say, so I wouldn't want to speculate too much, but just that, that was a question that we had come up uh, on a Wednesday. Um Anyway, so Yahweh he appears to him and he tells him, I'm going to give your offspring this land. Okay, so like you can tell that this chapter is just like monumental for understanding the rest of the Old Testament. It's Israel, the people, which are the people of Abraham in the land that God has promised to Abraham. And here's the promise right here. So he promised him to make him into a great nation and he promised him that he would give him this land. And all of this is really for the function of being a blessing, a light to the nations. Uh, 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 Through Abraham's family, somehow the nations will come streaming in and into God's presence. Uh, So we'll have to follow that story. And um, he built an altar there to Yahweh. So um, he's not like Cain who who builds a city and and, uh, is a disobedient um, man, he is. He builds altars there for Yahweh. His his projects, his building projects, his life is is arranged in such a way that he will be a builder for Yahweh and Yahweh's kingdom and to Yahweh's glory. And um, yeah, so he built an altar and he called and he called on the name of Yahweh in verse eight. And we've seen that before with uh, the arrival of Seth. Um, Think of the at the end of chapter five, or the beginning of chapter five, um, or or the end of chapter four. I feel like I should I should know that, but right around there. Um, now now I have to like look it up because I'm that's I can't not know that. It drives me nuts. So yeah, the last chapter, the last verse of chapter four, um, is where that appears. And here, so Yahweh, so Abraham is cast as as this as he's he's really being cast as like a noble. Um, figure here. He's he's the head of a nation. He is um, doing everything for Yahweh's honor and glory, and he is dependent on Yahweh. He calls on his name. He goes where God wants him to go. He left his his past behind. And all right, so here, starting in verse ten, this is where it just gets really crazy. And we're we're, we're going to wrap up here soon. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but um, uh. There It says in verse 10, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. Okay, so 
here is where we start to see that the providence of God is on full display and the, the genius of the crafting of this literature is on full display. Um, we've, we, we will see again, I guess I should say, we will see again a famine in the land and the people, Abraham's people, going down into Egypt. Okay? It's the same, it's the same words, it's the same Hebrew phrases. Um, if you look at Genesis 41, 57, there's a severe famine in the land. The, savan- the, the famine was severe in the land and they go down to Egypt. That's how the people of Egypt, I'm sorry, the people of Israel got into the land of Egypt in the, in the book of Exodus. Um, and so God's greatest act of deliverance is going to be in the, in the exodus of Abraham's people down in Egypt. But here Abraham is kind of treading the path that his people will go. So hundreds and hundreds of years before, Abram himself is, is treading that initial path. There's a famine. He goes down into Egypt. And it happened that as he drew near to the, into Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, look, I know you're a woman beautiful of appearance, and it shall happen that if the Egyptians see you, they then they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but not but, but let you live. Please say you are my sister, so that it will go well for me on your account, then I will live on your account. And it happened that as Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman, and that she was very beautiful. And the officials of Pharaoh saw her, and they praised her beauty to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into the house of Pharaoh. Okay, so let me just say, this is obviously a strange situation, and I don't have all the answers for, for are, are we looking at Abram here, and we're saying like, dude, that's total jerk move. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine saying that to my wife, right? Oh, hey, they're going to think you're beautiful, so, you know, just say you're my sister, you know, that kind of thing. Let me let me offer one one little suggestion here on maybe how to to, to process this well, is I don't think we're supposed to see this as a bad thing. Abraham has been cast as a good figure um, strongly so far in the text. And I don't think that this is, we're supposed to see this as a bad thing. Now, Abram's going to do this again in a couple chapters. Um, and it's not, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I'm saying I don't think we're supposed to initially see it as a bad thing. Um, perhaps. Uh, and and one of the reasons is that Abram, we learn in a little bit that he has 318 soldiers with him. That's a lot of soldiers. Remember, this is a little nation. And I mean, if those soldiers have families, we're talking about possibly a couple thousand people here in Abraham's kind of nomadic entourage, his nation. And he's the head of those people. And the way this works, if the head is lopped off, then the people are in disarray and chaos ensues and death ensues. And so that Abram is trying to preserve his life here is could very much be um, an, an act of service to his people. And Sarai does not go against his wishes here. She does not say anything uh, against what, what Abraham says. In fact, she does what Abram uh, asks her to do. Um, and we also know, here's one more little nugget, is that we also know like a couple times in Genesis, we can see that brothers have the ability to possibly um, hold off the marriage of their sisters in, in, in the place of their in the place of their father. So maybe Abraham's kind of banking on like, I don't know how long we're going to be in Egypt, but 
um, if I can hold off, if, if I'm not killed because she's my sister, but then as a brother, maybe they'll honor me um, in a way, if, if I say, no, 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 we, we need to wait on, <laughs> on you marrying her. Uh, maybe that's the case. So that's just a little offering for what could be the case here. But um, anyway, so one thing is that Pharaoh, you're going to be hard pressed to find like a great Pharaoh <laughs> in, in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch. There is the Pharaoh that knows Joseph at the end of Genesis, but even he it's kind of like selfish means. I mean, he he seems to be a decent pharaoh, um, but but he I mean he he's killing people, he's imprisoning people, he's you know uh, Joseph himself is imprisoned for a long time, and it's only because Joseph can can help the pharaoh that he's released. And then when Pharaoh sees that that Joseph can cause Pharaoh to prosper, he puts he's wise enough at least to put Joseph in a in a in a place of power. So, but the idea here is this Pharaoh sees Abraham's wife and takes her to, that she is beautiful and takes her to be his wife. We've seen that before in Genesis chapter six when the sons of God, these rebel uh, spiritual beings, see the daughters of men that they are beautiful and take them as wives. And it ends up being a corruption of the human um, state. And it's something that God judges very severely. And so here we have Pharaoh almost cast like one of those um, fallen angelic um, rebels. Um, that as he as this description goes, he sees that she's very beautiful and takes takes him takes her for his wife. What happens though is that he um, tells he gives he deals well with Abram. Uh, on account of her, and he just the the spoils of Egypt here, the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, uh, male slaves, female slaves, female donkeys and camels are all given to Abram. So his lot is increased, and I don't mean his lot like his nephew, but his his he he is his nation is is increasing here. Um, so he's coming in for a famine, and he's if he leaves, he'll be leaving. Um, fatter and fuller, um, because the Pharaoh has given him these these rich spoils of, of Egypt. You can see what's happening here. Abram is treading the path that his family will take. They will go into Egypt, and they will be taken like Sarai was taken. and But they will come out of Egypt with the spoils of Egypt during the Exodus, and, and listen, listen to verse 17. Then, then Yahweh afflicted Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues. Um, here are plagues coming on the house of Pharaoh. I mean, this is the story of the Exodus, like prefigured in the, the call of Abram. This is just beautifully crafted and providentially wonderful um, that, that, that this is happening right before our very eyes. Um, and it's just following it to a, to a T almost. And um, then Pharaoh called out to Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me? Why did you say she's my sister? And, you know, kind of here we may feel like I get why Pharaoh would be ticked off. That's like, what, why, and why are his real questions. Um, And Abram doesn't answer. Uh, And he gives back his wife and he says, take her and go. And this word go, halach, is used frequently 
in the Exodus narrative for, for letting the people go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and then sent him and his wife, right, away, right? This word sent, this verb, shalach, um, is, um, is the same verb that is used throughout the, the, the narrative of Exodus 3 through 11. Um, and so this is an exodus, this is an exodus pattern. This is the first time we see, we really see an exodus pattern, which itself just kind of theologically thinking about there's exile, right? There's a, there's an exile into a, into a, a bad state. And then there's an exodus out of that exile. And so if you thought about Genesis one through 11 or four through 11, as the result of the exile. And if Abram is, is going to be the way that God is going to exodus the people out of that exile and into his presence, it's awesome that right here, the first time we see Abraham, he draws up, providentially draws up the exodus pattern that we will see so often in scripture appear. And God's mightiest act of deliverance in the Old Testament with the exodus and how Jesus is going to be cast as the God of the Exodus who calls us out of darkness and death and into his glorious light and presence. He's going to, we're going to, we experience an Exodus in, in, as we enter into the family of Jesus and out of the patterns of this world. Um, so here, Abram kind of is the first person to tread that, that pattern, uh, which is amazing. Okay. So um, that went a little longer than I thought it would, but it's okay. Uh, it's still much shorter <laughs> than, than our Wednesday night. Um, I hope that blessed you and I hope that helped you understand. I hope you had you were able to have your Bible open and kind of look through it. I kind of went straight through the, the text as it sits here in front of me. Um, so Abram is the response to the fall and especially the, the cursing of Babel, all the families of the earth are going to be drawn in to God's presence for blessing through his family somehow. Abram as God, God who is the God of an exodus, he's the exodus God, he's the God of the exodus. He is, as he calls this person, Abram, he has him tread an exodus pattern for us so we can see um, that how, how God's God, we can see God's plan kind of prefigured here. God's mighty act of deliverance kind of prefigured here. Um, Pharaoh is cast as a as a rebel angel. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's almost like a serpent figure himself. And especially when we get to the Exodus narrative um, in, in the book of Exodus, that Pharaoh is for sure um, cast as a kind of paradigmatic ruler of the world, kind of fallen angel figure. Um, anyway, so that's how we're starting. Next week, we're going to get into Genesis 13, and we're going to see that Genesis 13 is kind of structurally connected to Genesis 12. These chapters and verses were not part of the original text, um, so we have to really look at the structure of the text to see where thoughts start and stop. And so Genesis 12 is very much part of the narrative of Genesis. I'm sorry, Genesis 13 is very much part of the narrative of Genesis 12. So with that said, um, we'll, we'll hang it up for, for now and we'll join back actually in two weeks because I'll be out of town next week 
But um, we'll, we'll reconvene next time with Genesis chapter 13. All right, see you. Bye.